Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. This is World Wide Wave Time, Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt and I'm joined right here in our studios at the Victorian Pride Centre tonight by Alex. Hola. And Andrew, welcome back. Hi. <laughs> How are you? The most frequent narrative of queer people in the Middle East is one of being persecuted by government and religion, being ostracised by society and rejected by families. There is truth to these stories, but there are also other stories to be told. Elias Jashin was determined to give Arabs the space to tell their stories on their terms. He's collected 18 stories of queer Arabs in his book, This Arab is Queer. From living incognito in Saudi Arabia, waving the rainbow flag in Cairo, or making a new start as an Arab immigrant in a new country, each rich and varied story of queer experiences and identities is from the heart. Here's a taste of what's coming up tonight. Um, Just because it's quite visible in the West doesn't mean, and it's not so visible in the Middle East or North Africa, doesn't mean it's not there. It is definitely there. They just got. Uh, they may have limitations or restrictions because of the laws and society they live in, but there's definitely a grassroots movement no matter where you go, and there's definitely an underground uh, queer community wherever you go. Ah, and in many parts of the Middle East and North Africa, from a young age, it is drummed into everybody that family is the most important thing. Culture and identity is reflective of family. Identity and family are interchangeable. So the thought of being cut off from family and all its societal connections because you are queer is a frightening idea for many. This is just one of the themes Elias Jason brought out in his book, This Arab is Queer. He collected 18 stories from writers across the Middle East and North Africa. We asked Elias to tell us more about the book and its many stories. It's a collection of 18 essays and short memoirs and um, uh, creative non-fiction pieces um, written by Arabs around the world um, in the diaspora and also actually living in the Middle East and North Africa itself. Um, so, yeah, it's just a collection of... Um, it's just, some of those pieces are about um, identity. Some of them are indirectly about identity. Um, some of them tackle issues about, you know, um, uh, 
they've got creative ways of doing coming out stories, but not all of them are coming out stories. Um, and some of them are more about, you know, uh, looking about talking about some an event, a particular event in their life and how that made it had a big, big impact on who they are now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some of the writers come from Egypt, some come from Lebanon, some come from Syria, Iraq, um, uh, the UAE and Yemen. Um, yeah, and, and, and most of the writers are living in the diaspora in Europe, North America and Australia. Um, but a few of the writers um, who actually still live in, in Dubai or Lebanon or Egypt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's also a mix of, you know, it's not just a, it's, it's, I feel like the, the writers themselves also cover the full spectrum of the LGBTQ community. So, you know, gay, lesbian, bi, uh, uh, trans and non-binary and queer and stuff. Um, and I thought, thought that was really important uh, just to reflect our diversity. So you've just mentioned some of the writers still live in countries where it's a little bit, well, it's very difficult for LGBTIQ people. How do they go about writing their stories and, and being, you know, to be honest, I mean, that's something that I don't, I don't want to speak for how they experienced it or how they did it. I mean, that's, that's something that they should probably be able to speak for themselves. But uh, I guess the thing is, like, I do know that in some of these countries where it's illegal, for example, in Lebanon, there are, like, all these sodomy laws and stuff, and it's not really enforced. Um, so it, while it might be might be illegal there, it's, there's still a thriving queer community, especially in Beirut. There's all these queer clubs and um, there's all drag knights and drag queens and stuff. And it's an amazing queer community that's thriving in Beirut. And but also, like, you know, while there's a, there's a prevalent um, uh, homophobia and transphobia in wider society, it, that doesn't mean that the community itself, the society itself, is incapable of being progressive. And a lot of these people, like you know, they might be out for their families, or might, they might not be out for their families, but they they surround themselves by people who are really progressive and accepting of them, and um, and just love them for who they are. But whereas in other countries like Dubai, um, like it, it is more blatantly illegal there, it's, um, and in some some of the states within Dubai, I think it's uh, punishable with a death sentence. So in, in the UAE. So the UAE is a collection of emirates and collection of states in one country. So whereas Dubai itself, the emirate of Dubai within the UAE, I think is a bit more lenient compared to other places like Abu Dhabi and stuff. So, um, but don't quote me on that. I don't know for sure. Um, because it's just it's all the situation in, in the UAE is a bit more complex than other parts of the Gulf. And then one of the writers from um, Egypt, she wrote under a pseudonym, a pen name, Simply because you know you don't the, the the regime in Egypt right now is constantly using the queer community as a scapegoat for everything political. So even though Egypt is going through an incredible amounts of poverty right now, and it's right now inflation is through the roof, and um, rather than the government trying to tackle that problem, it's distracting the distracting the country by using the queer community as a scapegoat. And it's always done that. It's even before the current CC regime, back before. Back in the days of Hosni Mubarak, before the 2011 revolution, he did the same thing. Um, so I do know the, the writer who I approached in Egypt, uh, for her safety, we let her write under a pen name. Um, and her story was about how she went to the concert in Cairo for um, Mashrut Layla, the Lebanese band, and the, her experience with that, and how she 
and how everyone in, in, in the Egyptian queer community felt that Ansara Hegazi died in Canada um, because she was a, an exile and she was the one who was arrested and tortured for raising the rainbow flag at Mashkut Leila's concert. Um, so while the writer didn't know her personally, she felt like she may have seen her in the in the in the crowd because people everyone was flying the rainbow flag. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people were flying the rainbow flag. So yeah, so in my conversations with her, um, she's already told me that you know there is definitely a thriving queer community in Cairo. It's just a matter of making sure who you know and who you can trust to be able to come out to and talk to. Um, you can't, unfortunately, can't be really public about it, but. It's there. There's going to be a queer community everywhere, no matter what, in the end of the day. Elias Jashin, author of the book This Arab is Queer, with us on Joy 94.9. That uh, whole message about finding your tribe, you know, it's not all bad news. There is uh, queer life and queer people and queer people being accepted in Arab countries as well. Yes, often that difference between the official position... Or what state, you see in the media. As what you see in the media versus, you know, the familial connections and people's acceptance on the ground. You know, I've certainly seen that in countries like Indonesia, which has gets a bad rap, but really on the ground people are quite tolerant and accepting. So I suppose the message here I would think is that the Arab world is not one big mm, monolithic mass. space. Yeah. yeah, And there's obviously diversity within that and there are places, uh, as you mentioned, Lebanon, where there are gay clubs. There's a gay, yeah. a, a very open gay um, community uh, there, even though the laws don't reflect that. We'd yeah. love to see the laws changed, but uh, at least the, the, the queer community can be out and proud and, uh, and be themselves. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to speak more with Elias and find out how he found people willing to tell their stories about being queer in the Middle East and North Africa. This is World Wide Wave. Out loud, proud, joy. Marhaba, this is Khaled Abdelhadi, founder of the first LGBT magazine in Jordan and one of the first in the new region, speaking from Jordan on the World Wide Wave. And despite the harsh laws and frequent media articles of hardships for LGBTQI people in the Middle East and North Africa, there is a queer community that exists. Uh, for many, it's underground, but even where homosexuality remains illegal, there are people advocating for change. Elias Jason is the editor of the book, This Arab is Queer. Finding people who are willing to contribute, whether under their own name or a pen name, must have been a challenge. We asked Elias how he found contributors willing to tell their stories? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I've followed a lot of them. I've, I've always followed a lot of them on Twitter and Instagram. And um, some of them I met in person, uh, the ones who, who have been in London and, or in Sydney. So I've met them in person before. Um, but the vast majority of them, I've just I've followed them on Instagram or Twitter and um, I've been a big fan of their work. And, I, and, and a lot of them are established writers as well. And I've always been a big fan of their writing and stuff. So that's how I approached them. I just contacted them via Twitter or Instagram to the direct message and like, hey, can I please have your email? I would like to invite you to be part of something exciting. And then it just went from there. Um, you know, it, it, it was a big, big risk because they always say, don't work with your, don't meet your idols or don't work with your idols or whatever. But I've been really lucky with the people that I've been working with. They've been really, really, um, They've been really, really great. They've been really flexible. It's been, a, it's always been a two-way street. It's communication, and 
uh, back and forth feedback and stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's how it happened. And why did you want to do such a such a book? Um, I think it, a lot of it happened. I mean, I wrote the proposal for the book uh, during the first lockdown in London in March, uh, March April 2020. So around that time, I think. Like in the lead up to it, there were a few things happening in the Arab world, and um, so not the Arab world. I'm um, in in the Middle East and North Africa because not everyone in the Middle East and North Africa is Arab. Um, there were a few things happening in that region that the Western media or especially queer media would jump on and just really report on um, these homophobic or transphobic incidences with a lot of Orientalism, a lot of um, failed racism, and like you know, a lot of underlying Islamophobia underneath it, and it just felt really gross just seeing how members of my community in the you know in the middle east north africa just feeling seeing them reduced to these small reductive narratives that just didn't really encapsulate the diversity and the dynamic of their community as really really make it feel a bit no no this is i just felt like it wasn't right because you know why why is this happening um and what really tipped me over was i think in actually yeah in may 2020 during Idaho Day, um, International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia, when the West, some Western embassies in Baghdad, Iraq, uh, decided to raise the rainbow flag for Idaho Day. And that just sparked a wave of homophobic attacks across Iraq. So the EU embassy, the British embassy, and I think the Canadian embassy as well just rose, raised the rainbow flag um, in Baghdad. And it was just very provocative. Um, it just sparked away with homophobia across the arc and a lot of attacks, uh, assaults and stuff. Um, and the reportage around that was just awful. Like, it was focused on the community in Iraq and the homophobia in Iraq itself, but not on the embassies for their sheer blatant provocation and just not understanding the context of where they were living and the whole white saviour complex that they imbued when they raised the flag. And it was just like, you know, the, these embassies probably should have understood a bit, bit more before they did that, you know. They need to sort of unlearn their ridiculous white saviour complex and realise that the community in Iraq is dealing with, their, dealing with it their own way. So that really that really pushed me over the edge, and that's when I probably sat down and wrote a proposal to this anthology. And, I mean, there were a few... There were, I think it was also around the time when there were a few other anthologies being released, and I was part of Arab Australian Other, and I saw all these other ones, all these other fantastical anthologies coming out, like The Good Immigrant, um, our Women on the Ground, an anthology female Arab journalist, and also um, Not About the Burqa. Um, they, were, they were all fantastic anthologies. And um, I mean, I've always wanted to publish a book, and I thought this was a, a good way to start, I guess. So it's a combination of that and then being inspired by previous anthologies and seeing these all the events happening around the world just pushing me to the edge to write this anthology. And it's funny, like when I started uh, looking for an, uh, some publishers to pick it up, well, I had already written the anthology. I had to update my proposal again when news of starter Hagazi died in June 2020 in Canada. Um, oh my God, this just suddenly makes the book even more important. I just, I mean, I, it just, yeah, it just added a whole layer of additional importance to the book. And it just really, yeah, struck me like, you know, okay, I'm, this is a really good time to put this out. I guess just the main reason why this book is being put out there is because, you know, we want to create our own space where, we're taking control of our narrative. This is who we are. I told the writers I don't want anyone to feel like they have to explain themselves to anyone or prove themselves to anyone. 
I don't want them to feel like they have to write within a particular lens or, or you know, when I say lens, I'm talking about the Western or the white gaze. Um, so I feel like the, the, I wanted the writer to feel like, you know, to talk about, reassert their agency, reassert who we are as a community and just celebrate our diversity and, you know, the highs and lows of our, of our community because we are, obviously we're not perfect, but no community is ever perfect. So, um, yeah, I, think, I feel like this was a way to say, okay, you know, this is who we are and um, we're, we're putting it out there. We're not responding to anyone. We're not proving ourselves to anyone. This is who we are and take it or leave it, basically. Going back to, to what you were saying about what happened in Iraq during Hyder Hobbit Day, so how do you think, uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the thing raising the flag was clearly not the right thing to do. How can the governments where the LGBTIQ rights are more advanced, how can they support LGBTIQ rights in, in, in this region, in, you know, in the Middle East, in North Africa? What, um, how can, what can we do differently? I think the first thing that I should do is realise that, you know, they need to sort of unlearn their white, white saviour complex. That's number one. Number two is, like, once you unlearn that, once number two, you'll realise that, you know, um, don't, don't, basically don't take up space where the space is not yours. So I feel like these embassies were taking up space that were speaking over or over the community rather than speaking for them. Um, and that was about to be infuriating because I don't think there was any consultation with the community before they threw those rainbow flags. So um, consulting with the community and actually engaging with them and putting aside their egos, and when I say egos, I'm talking about their white savior complex, is probably the first thing that they need to do. And um, so, yeah, and I think also these Western societies need to realise that these queer communities have had some uh, grassroots activism and they've been going on for much longer than anyone thinks. Just because we, it's quite visible in the West doesn't mean... And it's not so visible in the Middle East or North Africa. It doesn't mean it's not there. It is definitely there. They just may have limitations or restrictions because of the laws and society they're living. But there's definitely a grassroots movement no matter where you go. And there's definitely an underground uh, queer community wherever you go. So I think people in the West need to stop assuming that they need rescuing. Um, and, and people need to stop assuming that these communities don't exist and there's no movement and actually start engaging with them properly. And, you know, respecting the situation they're in because it's not like they can control it. They can't control the law. They can't make things legal overnight. Following the launch of his new book in the UK, that's Elias Jason, author of This Arab is Queer, with us on Joy 94.9. Got some pretty strong views there of the role of countries who were obviously... I guess just trying to be helpful in the showing of flags. Yeah, exactly. um, white saviour complex, is that a fair call, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're right. He is making a strong call there. I don't, I don't buy in totally, but I get, you know, we need to tread very carefully here and maybe it's like the same debate with women's rights, you know, but to what extent are... Country, some of these countries hiding behind cultural relativities and this isn't part of our culture, you shouldn't be trying to, or is it, um, should we just, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a grey area, I think it's a hard one. Like, he's got, I absolutely believe a lot of his arguments, I think it's quite true, you have to be careful how we seen as trying to propagate a Western so the, the, the gay thing's a Western thing. And yes, and then, you know, this could come down as neo-colonialism. 
but mm. at the same time, do we just stand by and see gross? Because a lot of the countries hide behind that story, that that idea that we have our own way, we will change at our own pace. And perhaps they need a push, but I and guess he's saying push, that yeah, the community has to be yes, brought on board a, in part of this push yeah. done in concert rather than yes, rather than separate. Yeah, exactly, I think that's the his main takeaway. I would think uh, we've got more with Elias coming up. In fact, we ask how hopeful he is about the future of queer rights in the Middle East. This is Worldwide Wave. Our diverse communities have one home: joy. In every country... Masculinity here is is a highly valid phrase. And every corner of the world... I'm fighting for rights of LGBT people in Nigeria. Breaking news and current issues. The LGBT community has definitely pulled together here in Orlando. Mixed with stories of everyday people. I'm a gay man. All with one thing in common. They're part of the world's diverse LGBTIQ community. Speaking from Ukraine. Mongolia. In Malaysia. Speaking from France. In South Africa. Uruguay, speaking from Jordan, Slovakia, from South Korea. Every week we bring you stories of the rainbow community across the globe. This is Worldwide Wave. And you're on the show that takes you around the globe one queer story at a time, Worldwide Wave. And a special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcast automatically either at joy.org.au forward slash worldwide wave or on itunes or your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave us a review and in fact joy is one of the world's biggest in fact we think we are the world's biggest um Mm. podcast library of con of queer content lgbti content um so there's something for everyone guaranteed um, uh, particularly our, our most recent shows. We had a great show last week with sexual racism in the community that will get uh, people thinking about their actions. And um, one as well with uh, Paula Gerber about what's going on in the US in terms of their um, LGBT rights and this proliferation of trans, anti-trans bills going on um, and, you know, the changes going on in the Supreme Court there. So uh, heaps of podcasts uh, if you you can find all of ours at joy.org.au slash worldwide wave or go to your favorite podcast platform hit the subscribe button we'll send it to you each and every week the world's longest running radio show dedicated to international lgbtiq news and current affairs this is worldwide wave from australia's rainbow radio station joy 94.9 Elias Jason is the editor of a collection of 18 stories in the book This Arab is Queer. Elias has been highly critical of Western embassies flying the rainbow flag in Iraq, an action that led to homophobic attacks on queer people. Elias, Elias wants to see more engagement with local queer activists and he explains that religion is not always the issue. I think also people in the West need to realise that it's not just about religion. Because it's very, very, very often when people talk about homophobia in the Middle East and North Africa, quite almost always just get traced back to Islam and or Islam and um, Islamophobia uh, about the beliefs and how the religion in, in allows it and stuff. And you know, while religion is a big part of Arab culture, regardless of where we live, it's not the only thing. And in fact, to constantly use religion as a reason for why this homophobia, transphobia exists is extremely reductive. I mean, there's also even the, the least religious person in the Middle East can still be extremely homophobic and transphobic. 
it's a cultural stigma, not um, not so much a religious thing. And re- the religion is part of the culture. So when you look at wider culture, it's just like it's just homophobia and transphobia is rampant there. But also, like you know, at, at the same time, not every Arab person is Muslim. So there are some Christians among us, and there's also like different levels of how much someone identifies in their religious beliefs. Yeah, so not everyone's going to be pious, not everyone cares so much about it, and, but then there'll be some people who do care so much about it, and that's, that's fine, that's, just, that's, that's how diverse the Arab world is. Not focusing purely just on religion, I think, is really important. I mean, it's definitely a part of it. I don't, I know, by no means am I saying it has to be, I want to erase it, I don't, it has to be part of the discussion, but it can't be the sole thing that people focus on, because it's much more complex than that. I think the West also needs to realise that a lot of these laws that exist in the Arab world exist because of previous colonial powers that they had. So they inherited the laws, really. Like, in Lebanon especially, they inherited the homophobia laws from the French mandate, era, you know. Um, and a lot of other countries in, in North Africa did the same thing, Egypt and, and, the, and the Maghreb. So, like, and while, you know, people say, oh, you know, that they could have easily repealed it, yeah, sure, but, you know, but still... The fact that they that the laws are still there, they were brought in by colonial powers. It's just that we have to talk about that. We can't ignore that. So I think the West needs to you know, accept some of the responsibility of why this why these laws exist. Um, so yeah, but then again, you get some places where they didn't really have colonial powers, mm. such as Saudi Arabia or Iran. Um, they've always been their own. Uh, without uh, oh, Saudi Arabia has been colonial influence for sure, but Iran's always been its own entity. But you know they still have the death penalty. So, um, so yeah, it, it depends. But like, in most parts of the Middle East, there's always been colonial powers that just had really they've been inherited the laws. Did you want all the part of the community to be represented? And uh, how challenging was it to get that representation? Oh, extremely challenging. Um, but yes, I did, I wanted every part of the community represented as much as as much as possible. And um, it was extremely challenging. Uh, whether I achieved it or not, it's, it's going to be up to the reader to decide. And, you know, I'll be open to sort of taking on constructive criticism, obviously. But I think the challenging part was getting people from places where English isn't widely spoken. And that namely is parts uh, of North Africa. So Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria and Libya, namely. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't get anyone into the book on, from those countries. And also, I couldn't get anyone from Saudi Arabia. That was, I think, was too risky for a lot of people in Saudi Arabia, for obvious reasons. But still, I mean, one of my, one of the writers grew up in Saudi Arabia, spent his childhood there, was educated there, even though his family is Sudan is from Sudan, but now he lives in exile in Oslo. So, um, so yeah, there was still the connection there with Saudi Arabia. But um, yeah, I think that was definitely challenging in terms of getting the uh, the right balanced representation in terms of countries. Um, I think that was the biggest challenge for me. The other challenge for me was getting the right, the, the, the gender balance, I guess. Um, I'm, I was very conscious of making sure it's not too male-dominated or cis-male-dominated, I should say. And, you know, I, would, I always beat, I beat myself up, up over the fact that, you know, uh, do I have enough women in there? Do I have enough trans people in there? You know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I had a budget to work with. I had a certain number of word count, word limit to work with. And, um, if I had more space, oh my gosh, that would have been amazing. It would have fit so much, so many more people, so many more stories. But you know, I, I, was, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to tell people to write something and then give them a cut price payment. Like I had to, I had to pay them for what they were worth. 
And for you, what are the hopes for for that region for Arab queer Arabs? Um, I think we just uh, yeah. I'll, I think the biggest hope that I found um, I felt amongst the writers is that you know just the hope and the belief that we can be who we can who we want to be in our homeland without having to feel like we we we've been driven out because of the homophobia or transphobia uh, or the fact that you know. If we, if we do live in if we do live in the homeland, and some of some of the writers do, it might not be it might not be illegal. For example, in the only two countries in the Middle East where it's not illegal, there's no, there's no legal statute around criminalizing homosexuality, is in Jordan and in Palestine, except Gaza Strip under Hamas. But everywhere else in Palestine, it's legal. There's nothing there criminalizing it. But just because there's no Criminalization of homosexuality doesn't mean there's no stigma. There's no there's no protection for the community. So, um, so one of the writers he's he's based in Amman in Jordan, and um, uh, he talks about how you know five six years ago he couldn't really do anything for the queer community there, but now he feels like he feels more hope that he can do stuff in Amman now. So um, I think that that feeling of hope is such a broad term. I think for every writer it's different, but for me, from what the, the sense that I've got is that everyone's hope for change, hope for progressive change, and um, you know, and the fact that we have to believe that change is, going, is coming. Elias Jackson, editor of this Arabic is queer. Thank you for talking to us at World Wide Wave. And nice to hear that he does have some uh, positive sentiments about the future, but oh, the irony, the irony that uh, the countries that are now saying you should change your laws are the ones that in many cases brought those laws in, uh, the imperial the colonial powers we from have, years ago. We have spoken about that before, haven't we? Across it's many countries. Old stories, particularly in Africa. Um, religion. He's yeah. pointed out that he he believes in uh, that what we see in places like Australia is an overemphasis on religion as the yeah. as the root cause of all evil. Absolutely. I, that's again. I think that's. I mean, you can't do, re- refute influence like Wahhabism and, you know, the conservative branches of Islam, but it doesn't tell the whole picture mm. the story, I should say. You know, um, it's not, you know, this is not really a religious issue. And, um, and you do, and as he pointed out earlier, you know, you find your own, your own tribe, your people who accept you might not be, um, you know, uh, open to everybody in the community, but you mm-hmm. find people that um, are progressive and, and look out for you. Yes. Want to hear more? Find out about LGBT life in over 100 countries. Download free podcasts of this show. Subscribe to iTunes or follow us on Twitter. Visit joy.org.au slash worldwide wave. Hi, I am Tim. And I'm Ben. From Helen, Melbourne. And you are listening to the World Wide Wave. On Joy 94.9. Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform to World Wide Wave. A huge thank you to our guest tonight, Elias Jason. His book is titled This Arab is Queer. It's available from Hares and Hyenas here at the Pride Centre in Melbourne, the bookshop in Sydney, or queer-supporting online bookstores. And thank you to everyone who has communicated with us via Facebook, Frank, Jennifer, Adam, Richard, and a heap more interacted with us um, this past week. That's 
W3Joy on Facebook. And we've also got to thank um, the people behind the scenes, our podcaster Peter and the social media master Dean. Catch you next week on Worldwide Wave. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Worldwide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. Worldwide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash Worldwide Wave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news Search W3Joy on Facebook now. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.